Well, good morning. Um, uh, before we get into today's, into today's sermon, we have a couple updates that I want um, to go through for us. Um, the first is about Matt and Katie Grindstaff and their new son, Atticus. Uh, if you've been at the Grove for a while, we prayed, we've been praying for them um, on Sunday mornings at times and uh, as we learn new news and, and ask people to pray. And then last Sunday, we gathered everyone up front during one of our gatherings and, and prayed for them. And um, just so you kind of know what's going on, um, Matt and Katie are longtime members of the Grove Church, um, covenant members, and they have two kids, uh, Canaan and Hollis. Um, and then, uh, I guess 37 weeks ago, they, f- they got pregnant with a third, uh, which they would name Atticus Ridge. Um, and a few months ago, they, they got some news during some routine ultrasounds and, and looks in uh, the baby that uh, the left side of his heart was not growing the way that it should be and the way that they needed it to be. Um, and so uh, that began a series of events of, okay, well, well what do we do? What's next? What happens? And um, what, the, the main thing was, was that if the left side's not growing, he's going to be born. He's going to have to get a shot immediately to help his heart. Um, so he's got to be born in a hospital where they can give that shot. Um, and uh, he'll be, uh, you know, looked at, going to have to have several surgeries, um, and then probably a transplant at some time. And over the course of, of multiple scans, they started seeing, okay, maybe, maybe there's more of the left side there than we thought. Maybe some things can be repaired. Maybe he doesn't need a transplant in the future. Um, and so we really kind of just didn't know. Uh, the doctors would say things like, hey, actually, it's not as bad as we thought. And then they'd call the next week and be like, hey, forget everything we just said. Um, and so it was just really up and down, and it was hard. Um, and so we prayed last week. She was going to be induced this coming Tuesday. Uh, last Wednesday night, she went into labor, um, w- went to Asheville. Asheville said, you've got to get to Charlotte, which is where they needed to go. They were going to the, the plan was to be born in, uh, in Asheville and then flown to Charlotte because they needed to get there quick. They said, you have time. You should just go to, we're going to get you an ambulance. We're going to get you to Charlotte. So I went to Charlotte to Le- uh, Levine's Children's Hospital. Uh, Atticus was born at, I think, 10.50 p.m. Thursday, so 24 hours of labor um, and, and no sleep. And uh, when he was born, he was strong. He, he got, they got to, um, Katie got to hold him for a couple minutes before they rushed him to the NICU. Um, right now, he's in the NICU. He's, um, so, some, some really good news is that um, he's able to, to, to breathe open air. Um, and so he's not in an incubator, which is uh, wh- what that means for Katie and Matt is they can touch him. They can hold his hand. They can rub his head. Um, and, uh, and so he's there. They did an echo last week um, and like an, an MRI of his, of his head to, to check on some things. Um, the echo revealed that um, there may be more of the left side than they thought. There were some arteries there. They didn't think were going to be there. So um, they're, they're kind of back in that either they can repair the left side. And if they can repair the left side, um, then that might be, might be the last surgery he has to have. Uh, if they can't repair the left side, they will shut the left side down, move all of his heart work over to the right side, and um, that'll be multiple surgeries, and then six, seven, eight, nine years old looking to have a transplant. Um, if he can't get a transplant quickly enough, and they're, they're also looking at kidney transplants maybe because it's a, the, 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 tax, uh, the taxing that it would be on his kidneys. And so um, we, we still don't have any news about which way that's going to lean, um, the cardiologist and his team and the surgery uh, team are going to meet Tuesday. 
Uh, they'll make a decision Tuesday and probably schedule surgery either for uh, later in the day, Tuesday, or Wednesday. Uh, when we find out, we will let people know. Um, but in the meantime, we want to continue to pray. Uh, Matt and Katie are doing as well as they can be uh, in Christ. Uh, they are suffering well. Uh, they are glorifying God, and they are an encouragement to others in the way that they're suffering. Um, our network has got behind them, which I was almost brought to tears. Uh, we posted just like a pray for Atticus thing, making sure people could pray for him, um, because we knew that she was going into labor, and um, uh, Brian Lowe, the director of Southeast, Acts 29, which is the network that we're a part of, um, he uh, messaged me, he was like, hey man, what's going on? I told him. Uh, about an hour later, I got an email from some churches in Charlotte saying, whatever you guys need, like if they need a place to stay for the coming weeks while he's in surgery and in the NICU, if they need meals. And so it was just really cool to see churches who don't otherwise know us, except that we belong to the same network, um, are there for Matt and Katie in Charlotte uh, since we're two hours away. Um, so that's just amazing, and I was just really blown away by that. Uh, you guys are showing up. Canaan uh, and Hollis are staying with Christine, their grandmother, Katie's mom, uh, because Katie and Matt are going to be in Charlotte for several weeks. Uh, and there's a meal train going around. And so if you don't know anything about that meal train, I don't know who, Ashley, could talk to Ashley. Uh, Amy's not here today. Amy's sick. Amy started it. Um, and so you could get on that and, and provide food for Christine so she can uh, provide food for Canaan and Hollis without getting uh, overwhelmed and doing so much because she's, she's doing so much right now with, with these kids and it's fantastic. And so you can do that. Um, next week, we're going to try and uh, schedule something where uh, Kane and Hollis can go down to Charlotte just to have, they can't go to the hospital because of flu season. They don't allow anyone under 12 right now. We're hoping maybe they can go out to eat somewhere and just see mom and dad for, for a night. Because um, otherwise, I mean, Katie's going to be down there for weeks. Matt's going to come home next weekend for a couple days and then go back. But uh, it's going to be a tough time. So we want to continue praying for them. We want to pray for Atticus. We want to pray for healing. We want to pray for Katie and Matt that God would just be uh, present and a comfort for them. Uh, and, and, and for you guys, what I would say is I know there's a strong desire for us to help. And I praise God for that in you. Uh, we have the meal train. Um, other than that, be patient. Oftentimes we don't know the best way to help um, until they ask. And they know that we're available. Um, and so be patient. Um, pray. And, and we'll see what the Lord might lead us to do and how we can, how, how other ways we might be able to come alongside them. So I'm going to pray for us now um, and, and pray for them and Atticus uh, that God might continue uh, working in their lives. And then, and then we'll, one more announcement and then we'll be in the sermon. God, I thank you so much for Matt and Katie. Canaan, Hollis, and Atticus. Um, the grind staffs love you, serve you well. We just thank you for their, their example. God, I pray for um, Atticus right now, God. That as his breathing's heavy, as he's trying to get oxygen to all the parts of his body, Lord, that you would just give him breath. Give him life, Lord. Would you heal his heart, God? I, we just pray just just for divine healing, miraculous healing, Lord. We know that you can do that, so would you just fix the left side of his heart? God, would you do whatever you want to do to bring yourself glory? 
but our plea is that the way in which you'd bring glory is through healing. Fully knowing that you're good, that you're trustworthy, and that the Lord of all the earth will do right. So God, we give them up to you, Lord. Would you be present for Matt and Katie? Would you be a comfort for Matt and Katie? Um, Would you show us and lead us how we can be the tangible means of your grace to them? And whatever that looks like, God, God, we trust you, we love you, and we give this over to you. And would you remind us and our hearts to be praying always for them? I want to pray this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, a couple other things just to go over. Um, as uh, a lot of you know, we're looking for, we've been looking for new space. Um, if you're a guest with us, this next part um, isn't really for you, but you're welcome to listen along. Uh, we've been looking for a, a new space. We found that space. Uh, the, uh, it's just a big open space. Uh, and so we were looking at mo- needing money to renovate that space, to fix that space. There's no bathrooms. And, and you guys go to the bathroom a lot. So we need, we need bathrooms. And there's just nothing. And so we're like, hey, we, we got we to figure something out. Um, and so we found a space. The landlord has generously offered to invest $100,000 into the renovations, anything that would uh, help the building out uh, for anyone, not just the church, but anyone. And so we have that, and then we were looking for around $20,000 for uh, church-specific renovations, church-specific upgrades. Uh, so a few weeks ago, we launched a little campaign just um, to raise $20,000. Uh, we called it a place to call home. Uh, we asked you guys to go home, to pray, to seek the Lord, to see how you might give sacrificially for a time above and beyond what you normally give. And uh, you guys answered. You guys prayed, you guys filled out little cards, you dropped them off, or you emailed me or whatever. You guys answered, and I am so blown away by your generosity. We have raised $28,015 in pledges. Yeah, that's okay. Well, yeah. If you're going to just commit, if you're going to do that. Um, and uh, it's, I'm just so blown away and, and thankful for you guys. Uh, you know, Jesus said that where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. And to know that so many of you guys who call this place home, your heart's here with us. Your heart's in the mission of God and what God might do through the Grove um, in the 828 area code. All 22 counties, man, it just blows me away. And I'm thankful for you. Uh, we did go above our goal. Um, and so what that tells me is that God knew we needed more than we thought we needed, right? Um, and so we don't want to pull back and be like, oh, you know, you don't worry about giving so much because we went above our goal. What we want is to just trust God. And if God spoke to us and was like, this is how much I think we should give, and that's how much we think we should give, and we should, let's be faithful. Um, so I'm just blown away. I think um, this is going to be an incredible step for us as we continue to equip the saints for ministry to go out and make disciples uh, in Spruce Pine and beyond. Um, and so uh, we're going to be getting some estimates uh, on some of the work that the $100,000 needs to go to over the next few weeks. And in starting some of that work uh, over the next couple months. Um, and then we'll, we'll kind of get an idea of timelines and costs uh, over the next several weeks as we, as we line some of that stuff up. And we'll keep you guys updated uh, because we're pretty excited about it. All right. So we've been in a sermon series about 21 days of prayer and fasting. Um, and we are um, 14 days into 21 days. We are three, this is today will be the third sermon of four sermons. Uh, I know that doesn't match up, it should only be three sermons, but 
uh, today was either going to be super long or we were going to do four sermons. And so I decided to do four sermons so that Amy, our kids director, wouldn't get upset. And then she got sick. She's not even here. So she wouldn't have cared at all. Um, so we could have just done it. We could have just skipped lunch. But um, we're going to do two sermons out of this one. Uh, and so the first week we talked about prayer and what uh, prayer is, but primarily why we don't pray uh, and overcame some of the obstacles of why we don't pray. Uh, we talked about fasting and what fasting is. Um, and I've heard amazing stories of some of y'all deciding to fast, uh, specifically from food, and it's been really cool to see what the Lord's doing in your life. And then this week and next week, we're going to look at nine pastoral prayers that I have for the Grove over the next decade. Um, so primarily we go through verse by verse, uh, verse by verse through books of the Bible. We'll be in Ephesians after this is over for 12, 13 weeks. I haven't figured that one out yet. Um, but I think it'll be 12, could be 13. Um, but that's what we primarily do. But today... And next Sunday, we're gonna, just going to go through nine pastoral prayers that I have for the Grove over the next nine weeks. I will we'll go through the Bible. I believe these are biblical prayers. Um, these are things that we should have, should know, should desire. Um, and, and in our context, they're things that I see that we really do need to seek and desire. Uh, every church is different. Every context is different. I think this is really specific to us. And so as we read in Ephesians, um, and... Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, uh, who planted the church of, uh, in, in Ephesus, is writing this letter, um, and he, he starts off with this prayer towards the beginning, uh, and it's a prayer where he says thanks, and then he asks God to do some things. So we're going to read that again. Uh, we're not going to dig through it as much as we want to use that as a jumping off point to see that um, Paul's prayers for his people um, and then our prayers for us. And so he says this in verse uh, 15, for this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So he, first I'll just says he's thankful for them. Um, and, and, and I can echo the same thing for the Grove. I am thankful for you guys. Uh, I am blown away. We planted the Grove four years ago. Um, in, in February, it'll be four years in our living room. Uh, there was like six of us, and then 13, and then 30, and then back to 13, because I'm really good at this, and, um, and then we moved here, and that joke never gets old for me. I hope it doesn't get old for you guys. Um, we moved here, and then God has, has sought to add to us um, to where we had to move to two gatherings in April, and we've doubled in size since April, um, and it's just been amazing, and that's not why I'm thankful, but uh, because we doubled in size, but the doubling in size has resulted in a lot of life change for people who weren't here a year ago. And it's just awesome. And I'm thankful, thankful for you guys and what you've done uh, and what God is doing in you. And then Paul continues in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know that there, that, uh, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the workings of his great might. So Paul thanks the Lord for, for the church in Ephesus and the church in general. Um, and, then, and then he asked the Lord to do some things for this church, to enlighten their hearts, to give them wisdom, to show him his power. And so um, I am thankful for us and I also have some requests of the Lord that I have for us. And so um, we're going to go through several different 
uh, passage of scripture, and we're going to start in Mark chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, But I'll tell you the prayer first, and then we'll hop into Mark 7 and look at it um, and kind of see why this is a prayer for us. So my first prayer for us at the Grove is that we would know that the greatest problem in our life is not outside of us, but rather inside of us. The greatest problem in our life is not outside, it's not external, it's not circumstances, but it's inside us. And so Mark chapter 7, Jesus is here, he's teaching, Uh, his disciples get confused, so then he explains, that happened a lot, Uh, and I I love it because it makes me feel good when I get confused about what the Lord's saying. Um, The disciples did, and they were like literally next to him for three years. So uh, verse 14 of chapter 7 in Mark, and he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me. All of you and understand. So this is important. Hear me, all of you. And I want you to understand this. There is nothing, verse 15, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. In in Matthew 11, they're, they're confused by the parable and they ask. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but it enters his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of the person is what defiles him. For within, out of the heart of a man, comes evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So what Jesus is saying here is very strange for the disciples, because the disciples grew up, grew up in this religious culture where um, to clean yourself, you have to watch what you eat. You can't eat certain things. There's all these laws, and they were good laws. They were laws there to protect the people from unclean things, things that would make them sick. But they had all these rituals and laws that would keep them clean. Don't eat this. Don't eat this. Uh, If you touch this, you've got to wash your hands like this for this long and this way. They had all these things that, these external things that would make them clean. And they were there to point them to something else. The reality, they were there to point them to the fact that they actually can't make themselves clean. No matter what they do, what they eat, how much they wash their hands, They will never make themselves clean because nothing you do on the outside can make you clean. The reason why you're dirty isn't because anything's touched you that's dirty. It's because you're dirty on the inside. And the stuff that comes out of you is dirty. It's it's sin. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. And that's really different, right? I mean, it's the exact opposite. You don't, it's not your sin that makes you a sinner. You're born a sinner, and so you sin. And we talk about this all the time. My son, Eliam, my daughter, Salome, my son, Valor, I never had to teach them to lie. I didn't. I wasn't setting them down. I was like, hey, son, Eliam, buddy, sometimes you're going to do stuff you shouldn't do. We're going to ask you, you should lie. That's how you get out of it, is just lie. He just instinctively knows that's what he should do. Right? He knows to get out of trouble, i got to say things that aren't true so I cannot get in trouble. Now, honestly, he doesn't do it as much as Salome, so we're praying for her a lot. Um, but I like to use his as an example because he can take it a little better. Um, but there's this, there's, like, I don't have to teach them. They do it. And it's because of what's inside that causes us to be 
unclean. It's not anything you touch. It's not anything you eat. It's not anything you do. It's no sin that you could do that could make you a sinner. You do those things because of who you are. Now, this is terrible news. Because if it was external, you could, you could change that. You could stop touching stuff. You could stop eating things. You could clean yourself up. Some of you guys could. Not everyone. Some of you guys are really undisciplined. You'd never be able to do it. But some of you guys are like type A. I'm going to make a list. I'm going to do this every morning. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work out. I'm going to eat this. I'm gonna like, you could do it. You could totally do it. But it's not external. And so you can't. Because you can't give yourself a new heart. And this flies in the face of, of conventional wisdom, right? I mean, I know we talked about Atticus getting a transplant. I was in, I was in a, a church when I first moved here, and I was in this Sunday school classroom, and there was this dude who's a well-known evangelical preacher, and he was saying that he was talking about um, sin and, and generosity, and he was, like, talking about how, you know, we need a new heart. And I was like, yeah, amen. And, uh, and he's like, but, like, you know, no doctor's going to give you a new heart if you're not exercising and eating well. And so, like, you know, they, they put you on an exercise regimen, and they, they put you on a diet, and then you eat well, and you show you can do it, and, then, and once you lose some weight, they'll, they'll give you a new heart, you know. And, and I was like, that's not the gospel at all. Like, that's the opposite. The gospel's like, you can't exercise, you can't eat well, you can't lose any weight to, to help your heart. You just need a new heart. And if you could get a new heart, then you could do all those things. And, and I know that that's not a good analogy because that's not how life works, but that's how the gospel works. Ezekiel says, God says to his people, um, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to take out your heart of stone, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my spirit within you. I'm going to cause you to walk in my ways. I'm going to cause you to keep my statues. I'm going to do it in you, because you cannot do it yourself. And so while it's horrible news for us, it's also incredible news, because we can't do it. But God has come in Christ. He's given us his spirit to do it in us, to do it for us, to give us a new heart. So here's what happens in our culture, right? We, we, we want to blame everything outside of us. It's, it's my job. If I had a different job, I wouldn't lash out when I get home. I'm just so stressed out. When I get home, I'm tired, I'm stressed, and that's why I lash out. If, I ha- if my husband loved me more and he cared for me more, if my husband took out the trash or the dishes— then, then I would be fine. If my wife wanted to be more intimate more often, that would be the answer to all my problems, right? If I had this job, if I had um, this, if I was in this tax income bracket, if I had this much money, if I had this truck, if I had this house, if I just had these things, these external things, then, then my life would be fine. It's all this stuff happening that's causing me to be frustrated, angry, jealous, resentful, it's all this stuff out here, and that's just not true. And I say that knowing full well some of the horrific things some of you guys have been through. Being a pastor of a church, I have the great heartache of hearing horrific stories time after time after time. And those things are horrible, things that have happened to, to women, to men. Um, they're horrible, and they are external things that have happened to you, and they shouldn't have happened. But the news of Christ is those things can't make you dirty. Those things can't make you unclean. They'll hurt. They will leave wounds. But they can't press out of you what wasn't already in you. I, I can't make anyone sin. I can't make anyone jealous. I can't make anyone frustrated and angry. I can do stuff 
that presses jealousy out of you. I could do some things that would press anger out of you, but unless anger was already inside of you, then it's not going to come out. And that's the reality that we live in, is that it's not these things that cause our issues in our life. No one is more an enemy to you than you. No one's more an enemy to your joy than you are. No one talks to you more than you do. Most of us have just learned not to do it out loud, right? Because that will get us in a place we don't want to go. Most of us, um, no, no one lies to you like you do. You tell yourself all the time, if, I just, if this would just happen, then I'd be fine. If my wife would just understand this part of my life, I'd be fine. If I could just stop, it, 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 maybe it's not even selfish. Maybe you, there's sin in your life you want to stop. If I could just stop this thing, if I could stop doing this, then I'd be fine. I'd feel better. That's also not true. Stopping your sin, killing your sin is not going to make you feel better. It's not going to change anything inside you. In fact, what Scripture would tell us is if you are strong enough to kill your sin yourself, then what you've done is you've replaced your sin with self-righteousness, which is also a sin. If you pit sin against sin in the, in the gl- arena of life, even if one kills the other, sin still wins, right? And so we can't kill our sin with more sin. We need Jesus to come to take out our heart and to give us a new heart. And our circumstances may never change. The gospel is not come to Christ and everything's going to be good. There's all this healing. There's all this new stuff. There's all these things. Your relationships are going to be good. Your marriage will be restored. Your parents aren't going to be mean anymore. Your kids are going to listen. They're going to obey everything you say. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you come to Christ, you get a new heart, and that heart desires him. And the good news is you get him. You get what your heart desires. You get him. And that's the incredible news of the gospel. And and, and if we could understand that as a church, that it's not stuff that's out here, it's not the world, it's it's not politics, it's not war, it's not all this stuff out here that's causing our issues, but it's inside of us. And God can change the inside of us where we can't then my, my, my hope is that we would turn to him, we'd surrender to him, we'd stop trying so hard. And I mean that. Like, I want the grove to stop trying so hard. Because what happens when you try so hard is you fail and you look down and navel gaze because you're so frustrated with yourself. You don't give yourself as much grace as the king of glory gives you. And so you become frustrated and angry with yourself and disappointed. And then what happens almost 99% of the time is you begin to retreat from community. You begin to retreat from the church because you don't like who you are. You don't think anyone else is going to, so you leave. And stop trying so hard. Stop. Come to Christ. Let him change your heart. Let him change your life. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to go. It's not going to be perfect. You're going to fall. You're going to fail. We're going to fall and fail you. But come. Come to him. Come to community. Engage. Let him change your heart. Nothing out here is ruining your life as much as what's on the inside is. That's our prayer number one. To know that the greatest problem in, in our life is not outside of us, but rather inside of us. Number two is this. That we would have a holy, contented discontentment. I'm not sure if that's a real sentence or not, but that's what I want to say. That we'd have a holy, contented discontentment. Um, and, and, and here's what I mean by that. Um, if you have your Bibles, you turn to Romans chapter 8. 
um, but while you're turning there, what I mean by a holy, contented discontentment is this, is that um, we would be contented with our life uh, in, in, in the way of material possessions and fleshly desires. Like, like we'd be okay, like we, I'd be content with my marriage, content with my house, the size of my truck, which is small. Um, by the way, it's a little tiny truck. Um, we'd be content with my bank account. I'd be content with my savings account. I'd be content with my job. Like we'd be content with the things of this world, but we'd have a holy discontentment with spiritual matters. And, and, and here's why I say that. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says this. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. We're going to read more, but I want to stop there because there's two discontentments I want us to have. The first one is with this world. Like, the world's discontent with the way the world is, right? Like, that's what we just read, that all of creation is, like, groaning for, for, for new birth, to be renewed. It's groaning. It's longing for that. With pains, it longs for that. And so we have this, um, this world that is broken, we have a world that is broken. I think we all can agree with that, if we're honest. I think they're going to be fine in there. So just, <laughs> we got top-notch volunteers over there, so we can trust them. Um, and, and if that's your kid, we don't care. We love, we love new life and renewed life in this church. And so if kids are screaming, we were in our living room with no kids ministry for a year, so we can handle that. Um, so we have, uh, the world is broken, and the world knows it. Like, the, like, like, literally creation understands that, hey, I'm broken, and I want to be renewed. Are, we live in a world that's not create, that's, that's not the way God intended it to be. It's not, cre- it's not um, the way God created it to be. It's not all that he wanted it to be. It will be someday. And so we have this discontentment, this longing for it to go back to the way it's supposed to be. And actually, better than that, right? Genesis starts with a garden. God places Adam and Eve in a garden. And at the end of the story in Revelation, we don't have a garden, we have a city. Some of you are like, that's not better. That's not better than a garden. But the idea is this thing was always supposed to change. It was supposed to grow. It was supposed to look different than the way it was at the beginning. But it was supposed to get made more and more and more perfect in the likeness of God. God said it was good, and it was good. And when Jesus returns, it will be perfect, not just good. So we wait, and we long for that to happen. We long for wars to end. We long for shootings to end. We long for sickness to end. We long for things like we're praying for Atticus, and we want to pray for that baby. But we long for the, just like, we don't even have to pray for things like that anymore. Because there's no sickness, there's no death, there's none of that anymore. And so we long for that day. In Revelation, uh, John, who, who wrote it, he, um, who recorded all that he saw, he said the words, Maranatha, which means, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I mean, that's our prayer, is that we'd have this discontentment with the way that the world is, that we'd want Jesus to come quickly. And, and if we're honest, many of us would say, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly as soon as I get married. Or, Lord Jesus, please come quickly after I have kids, or after I get this job, or after I do this thing, or after I go see this place. 
Like we want Jesus to come, but only after we get some of our stuff done. We always want to get done, right? And so we want this discontentment where Jesus' return and the consummation of all things is better than all the things of this earth. And we want that to come, even if it means I don't ever get married. Even if it means I never have kids, because Jesus is better than those things. Those are good things, but Jesus is better than those things. And so we long for his return. And then, and then not just for his return and the consummation of all things to, to bring heaven to all of the earth, but it says, verse uh, 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the, redemptions of our bo- the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so there's this discontentment with the way the world is, but also, if, if there's no ceiling, if there's no cap on our intimacy with God, then we should never be satisfied with where it is. If God is an inexhaustible well, if his love is unimaginable, then we should never be satisfied with where we are. Now, we should look back with joy on where, how far God has brought us and what God is doing in us, but we should always want more because there's more to be had. Like, we shouldn't get to a place where we're like, we're like, okay, I've been a Christian for three years. Uh, I feel like this is, this is about as holy as I want to get. I feel like this is, if I could just coast from here, this would be great. Like, that's not the Christian life. My prayer is that you would grow in Christ-likeness, you would grow in holiness, you'd grow in godliness, you'd want to be like Christ, and, and, and you would be growing from one degree of glory to the next, but you would never arrive this side of earth, and so you would keep having that desire for more of Christ, for more of him, for, for to be more like him. You would constantly be growing in that. And then that, that's my prayer, is that we would have this contented discontentment where we're content with the things of this world, but we want more of Christ. We're content with my job and my house and, and, my, and, and everything, but I want more of him. And that's all. And that's what he's promised us, and we know that we can have it. We have this holy, contented discontentment. Number three, uh, my third prayer for us, is that we would fight against a consumer culture within the church and embrace the priesthood of all believers. That we would fight against the consumer culture within the church and embrace the priesthood of all believers. If you can turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, it'll also be on the screen. But before I read that, what I mean by consumer culture is not that you guys go out and buy stuff. I mean the culture that is, um, by and large, a big portion of American evangelicalism where people come to church and consume it. That where church is ran by and done by um, a few professionals up front who teach and sing and play guitar, and then everyone else comes to it and, and, and makes decisions on their church based on like, well, the music's good, I like this place. Or um, uh, preaching's good here. Zach makes a joke every once in a while I like, it's funny. And they're like, oh, this is where I want to be. Or you know what, the preaching's not very good, I don't want to be here. Like where it's just all about what it is for you. Um, we used to not have music here. Uh, and by that, I mean we had YouTube videos, which is music, I guess, but it wasn't live. Uh, and God grew our church around that. But there was one time, I remember there was this one guy who's like, man, I love this church, but the worship just isn't, ugh. 
you know? And I was like, I don't know what ugh means, so I don't actually know at all. Uh, I wasn't offended, but I was just, I don't know, I don't know what that, I don't know what ugh means. But I think what he meant was he just, it wasn't what he wanted, it wasn't enough for him. Um, it's like, well, we're not, it's not for you, so um, we're going to be okay. Like, we'll just keep doing YouTube videos for a while. And so we did that, and then God blessed us with a band, now we have two. But I want us to fight against this consumer culture of like, like, this is for me, that church is for me. Church is a thing you come to, not a place where you belong. I want to fight against that and embrace the priesthood of all believers. And so here's what I mean when I say priesthood of all believers. First uh, Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 5, says this. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. If you go down to verse 9, he says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous lights. We're a priesthood. Church is not a place where a couple people do it and everyone else listens and consumes it. We are a priesthood. And what that means is that we all have equal access to God. And not only do we all have equal access to God, all of us have been called by God and equipped by God to minister for him. To minister for him. Um, you know, there's this saying where we live, like, I feel the call to ministry, right? And it's like, usually that means someone's going to like, that's all they're going to do in the sense that that's going to be their full-time job. I feel the call to ministry. It's going to be my full-time job. Um, the Bible would say every Christian is called to ministry. Every Christian. In fact, the role of the pastor is to equip the saints for ministry. So we all have a ministry. We've all been called to be a priesthood of believers. Not where there's a priest who's, who's um, doing church and doing all this stuff for you, but that we'd all be involved in ministering to one another. But here's why this is a prayer for me and us at The Grove. Uh, we've grown a lot over the last six, seven, eight, nine months, and it's been really good. We've seen so much life change. We've seen people uh, begin to get connected in home groups and... and um, and confess some things, and find, ask for help, and find help, and, and we're seeing the Lord do some amazing things in the hearts of some of his people, and his children, um, but with that comes change, right? As the church grows, there was a time where 13 of us met in my living room, and we all knew each other super well, we all had breakfast every morning together, and it was awesome, it was, but we, I can't have a hundred of you in my living room every Sunday morning, my wife would kill me, and so things change, and that's not bad. Like, there's more people following Jesus more closely four years in than there were when we started. Let's celebrate that. But change is coming, and what we need is for you guys to begin to minister to one another. And when I say you guys, I mean uh, Christians generally in the Grove specifically. So if you're a guest here, you're not a part of the Grove, or you're not even a Christian, I'm glad you're here. But this is a little behind-the-scenes, like, prayers from a pastor to his church. But my hope and desire is that you would begin to minister for God to one another. I can't do it all. God hasn't designed the church for the pastor to do it all. 
I think that's become something in the last 100 years, specifically in America, where the pastor does all the visitations and he goes to the hospitals. And, and like I, I was in the hospital yesterday. I, don't, I love doing that stuff, but I can't do it all. I can't go to everyone's house. I can't be everyone's best friend. I want to be. I do. Like, I love having friends. I like people liking me. It's probably not a good thing, but I like it a lot. So I would love to have everyone as a best friend, but I just can't. If that happens, I, will be, uh, I won't be a good friend to anyone. I'll be a horrible pastor. I won't have, be able to do anything. My wife can't be everyone's best friend. I can't invite everyone in the church to, to my kid's birthday party just because we don't have enough food for that or a budget for that. And so, like, things, what that means for us as a church is as God adds more people to his family through the Grove, is you guys need to begin and continue, those who have started, a lot of you have started to minister to one another, to serve one another, to care for one another, to bear one another's burdens, to lift one another up, to exhort one another, to admonish one another. Like, all the one another's in the New Testament, we need to be doing together. And I know it's hard, and I know it's tough, and I know there's this temptation um, to just be like, oh, okay, it's like, Zach just told me to stop trying so hard, and now he's saying to do more. And, and, and I'm saying, I mean, what I'm saying is that if you desire Christ and you want to see his church built up, which all Christians should want, then yes, there's some things that we now do as Christians. And one of those things is caring for one another. And so, um, man, my, my prayer is that you guys would, 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 would care for one another, would love one another, would invest into one another. And the temptation to be tired, I get all too well. It's been a long week for me. It's been a long four years, if we're being 100% honest. But it's been a long week. Uh, I haven't been sleeping well in the last week. I don't know what it is. I can't figure it out. I wake up at like 1.30, um, which if you're trying, if you like, if you make a resolution, I'm going to start waking up earlier. 1.30 is way too early. That's not what I was going for at all. Uh, and so I wake up 1.30, and I'm just awake. And my mind's, like, I, I'm thinking of things. I can't go back to sleep. I try. I can't, so I'm like, okay, like, I've been up for, like, an hour and a half. It's 2, 3 o'clock. I guess I'll read. So I start reading, and, like, I just, like, I'm up. And so now that, that's okay one night, but several nights in a row, and I'm, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Um, we've got, you know, the stuff going on with the grind staffs, and so we're going down to Charlotte, and, and I'm tired. And, and so I had Margie drive because I was just exhausted. There's no reason why I should be driving. So she drove down there, um, and she started driving up, and... Um, she was talking about all this cool stuff, women's ministry. She's got all these ideas, and women, you guys, it's going to be a great year. It's a fantastic year for you guys. She's got tons of awesome ideas. But I was just like, hey, babe, I can't think about this anymore. Like, I just got to sleep. Would you, can I take a nap in the truck? Um, and she was like, yeah. She was so generous and kind. She's like, just take a nap. I'll put my headphones in. I'll listen to something. You go ahead and sleep. So I, I uh, um, put my seat back, and uh, I, I like listening to things when I sleep, so I took my phone out. I had started a, a sermon earlier in the day by a guy named Ray Ortland uh, out of Nashville. So I went back to that, hit play. Somehow I rested it on my shoulder, which I was pretty proud, like it didn't fall off. Um, and so I had that on my shoulder because I, I didn't want it to be too loud so that she couldn't hear her headphones. The car window won't roll up, so that's already loud. It's a whole thing. And um, so, I had, so I had that on my shoulder, and I had it listening. I fell asleep so quick. And about like 10, 15, 20 minutes later, I wake up. I have no idea. But I wake up to a part of the sermon that I just feel like God, like, I just, I don't know, like, I feel like God just like, dude, you got to wake up. Like, you got to hear this part. And the sermon was about prayer, and this part had nothing to do with prayer. Uh, Ray was talking about, uh, he was talking about, like, we need to pray for all these things. But then he started saying, um, 
uh, where are we going to find the courage to reach our city? Where are we going to find the love we need to love our city? Where are we going to find the energy we need to do all that God has called us to? And he said, and, and, and where are we going to find the courage to stop saying we're tired and we're too busy? And I was like, I was thinking, like, I'm tired and too busy. Like, I don't know about what courage has to do with that. And, and, and what he said next, I, I think, is going to change my life. I really do. Um, he said, he said, you guys are tired, and that's good. Like, y- you're meant to be tired. You're supposed to be working and doing things. If you're tired, it means you're being effective, and you're working where you need to be working. Um, the Bible describes heaven as rest, and we're not there yet. And so we work, and we work hard, and we go to bed tired. And we should take days off. I'm, gonna, we're, I'm going on a cruise next week. Next Sunday, I preach. I head to Charleston, cruise. I plan on sleeping like 10, 14 hours a night, if God will let me. We, 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 we buy the cheapest rooms on a cruise, not because they're cheap, although that's part of it for sure, but they're the darkest rooms. And what it means, when I say the darkest rooms, I mean the best sleep in your life. The boat's rocking you back and forth to sleep like, like you're in your mom's arms again, and, and there's no light in there. And the little light that comes through the door, you can take your towel and put over it, and so you don't even have that. And you just got to find your way back to your bed because you can't see your hand in front of your face. And I plan on sleeping and resting. But this idea that we're meant to be tired and we'll rest in heaven, man, I don't know, like, I, th- I really felt at that moment, he didn't say this, but I felt that, that maybe the reason I'm so frustrated and overwhelmed is because I'm tired and I think I'm not supposed to be. And so I'm frustrated because my expectations in life aren't being met. I expect me to have energy and, to, and to, like, to be restful all the time. And I'm not. I'm tired, overwhelmed, there's a lot going on, there's lots of things happening, and, and maybe I'm just not supposed to be that tired. But what if, what if I am supposed to be tired? And so like yesterday I was tired and exhausted, but even then the realization that this is good, it means I'm doing stuff, it means I'm working, it means I'm probably where God wants me, and I'm right where I'm going to be the most effective, pushing back the gates of hell, and that's tiring. And so we work hard, and we work, and we pour our life out for the gospel. We pour our life out for gospel advance, and then someday we'll die, and we can rest then with Christ. Maybe we don't get rest till then. But I think that legacy is a pretty ama- amazing legacy. I don't know if I want to be remembered as the guy who, who died with all the energy in the world, or the guy who poured his life out for the gospel. And so, man, yesterday I just realized maybe I'm not supposed to have this restful feeling that I think I'm supposed to have. Maybe I'm supposed to be tired. And I almost feel like I found rest in that. Is that weird? It feels weird. Like in, like in just it, it confessing that I'm tired and that's okay, I found the rest I was looking for. And it was good. That was just yesterday. We'll see how that plays out. Maybe it's a fluke. I don't know. I'll, I'll keep you guys updated. But that's where I'm at right now is I'm tired, but I like it. I'm tired, and, and I think we should all just be tired together, if we're being honest. Like, let's pour our lives out for Spruce Pine, Burnsville, and beyond. Let's be a church that ministers to one another for God and pours our life out for that. And let's not pretend like we're supposed to, like, have all this energy. What if that's just a tiring thing? We go to bed tired every night. Our head, our head hits the pillow hard. We pray, God, give me rest, give me energy for tomorrow. And the Bible says his mercies begin afresh each day. Maybe he only gives us enough energy for each day on purpose. We're not supposed to save it up for the next day. 
So we go to bed tired every day for him. Let's serve one another. Um, if you're a Christian here or you're a member here, my prayer is that you would serve. Uh, and I don't mean like sign up for one of our teams, although we have spaces in kids ministry and, and, and other places that we need someone to help with the sound, but we have those spots. But I'm just talking like just take someone out to coffee. Like get to know someone you don't know. Um, talk to people. Build relationships. Care for one another. Uh, it's, I don't think, you know what the biggest thing I think is, and I've said this before, you want to be super helpful. You want to know why some people get super involved in church and others don't. And you want to get super involved and you don't, you don't know why some people are getting involved and you aren't. Do this one thing and, and, and do it for a week. Or no, do it for, for a month and just let me know how it goes. Come to worship gatherings, to Bible studies, to home groups early as you can. I know some of us can't. And stay late. Like just show up early and help and stay late and help. Like, that's literally the easiest thing I think I could tell you to do. And you will, you will build relationships with people because you're helping people. And you're just standing next to them, throwing donuts on, peg, on pegs. That's pretty cool. Like, you're, you're helping make coffee. Like, whatever. Like, just these little things you're doing, you're doing them next to people. You're talking. You're getting to know people. Just show up early and stay late. Let's serve one another. Let's get out of the kiddie pool. And let's get in the deep end of the pool. We can't, there's nothing weirder than an adult sitting in the kiddie pool for too long, right? Like you see someone in the kiddie pool, you're like, oh, hey, man, which, which kid's yours? And they're like, I don't have kids. And you're like, okay, well, that's super weird. feel like we should call someone for sure. Um, you shouldn't be here, right? And so like some of us are in the kiddie pool and we're waiting for someone to drag us to the deep end. And I don't want to drag you to the deep end. I want to plead with you and to beg you to come with us into the deep end. Would you come? Would you get out of the kiddie pool where the water is way warmer than it should be? And would you come? And like, if you need help go climbing the ladder, if you need help walking down, it's like, whatever, like, we'll help. And maybe there's ways where we failed to help you, and I'm sorry. But we want you in the deep end. We don't want you in the kiddie pool. We don't want you waiting there for the rest of your life. We want you jumping in, serving, knowing God, ministering for him as part of the priesthood of all believers. Number four is going to go by fast. I promise we're almost done. This is why we did two sermons. Number four is this, is that we would know that God doesn't only love us, but he likes us and he rejoices over us. I think there's, there's two people who struggle with this idea. Uh, some of us really don't think God loves us today. We think God loves some future version of us. We think God loves uh, Zach when he's reading his Bible better when he finally finishes that one-year plan and doesn't give up January 16th, right? We, 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 God loves Zach when he prays regularly. God loves Zach when he finally starts leading his family the way he's supposed to. We think God loves this future version of us, but God loves us now. And, and then there's people who, who believe God loves us because we know the Bible, we know that theologically that's true, and we, we're really logic, and we're like, okay, God loves us, he is love, he has to, it's kind of his thing, he said it, so he must do it. But then we struggle with the idea that God likes us. And that's different than God loving us, right? Like God liking you, like there's, um, God likes you. There's a difference between loving someone, like caring for them um, and, and, and providing for them and, and being a protector for them and loving them. And then someone who likes you, who delights in you, who just wants to be with you. 
And so God says over and over again in his word that he likes his people, that he delights and that he rejoices over them. Here's several verses. Psalm 35, 27, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Jeremiah 32, verse 41, I'll rejoice in him, I'm sorry, I'll rejoice in them doing good. I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all of my heart and my soul. Zephaniah 3.17, we read this text a few days, uh, a while ago. Uh, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, and he will exult over you with loud singing. Proverbs 11.20, those of crooked hearts are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delights. Isaiah 62.4, you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. Psalm 147.10 and 11, his delight is not in the strength of the horse, which is a funny verse to me, um, because God over and over again in scripture will brag about the horse. Like, he's just like, look at, have you seen the horses? They're pretty awesome, right? Like, tell me, tell me how awesome the horse, I made the horse, and they're great. I think they're frightening, personally. Um, but God thinks they're amazing. And so it's actually a real, like this means more than it seems if you, if you realize how proud he is of the horse. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor is pleasure in the legs of men, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope is in his steadfast love. Proverbs 3.11, the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So even when we're being disciplined or reproved by God, it's because he delights in us, because he's leading us into something better. And then Psalm 149, verse 4, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. God delights in you. He loves you. He likes you. He's jealous for you. And not because of anything you've done, but because you're his if you're in Christ. Because you're his. And, and we, like, we, we have a hard time believing that, yet we know that's true. Because humans are like this. Even humans get this. I have three kids. I've loved and liked all of them since they were born. And, and all of them, when they were born, did nothing but poop and pee. Like, just nothing. Like, diapers are gross, and the first couple days are the worst. It's like tar, and it's like, you gotta get like a SOS pad. It's a whole thing. And um, it is horrible. And it stinks, and it's messy, and yet, I loved my kid. I liked him. And he was stinky and messy. And so no matter where you are or how you came in here today, how messed up your life is, God can delight in you. God can love you, not because, you're li not because you cleaned your life up, or not even because he's cleaned your life up, but simply because you're his and he's yours. The reason I love my kids are because they're mine, because my blood is in them. I'm their dad, and I love them, I like them, not perfectly, and God loves us and likes us because of who he is, and these are my prayers for us. There's five more. It'll go by faster next week. There's five more that we would know the greatest problem in our life is not outside of us, but inside of us, that we'd have a holy, contented discontentment 
that we would fight against a consumer culture within the church and embrace the priesthood of all believers, and that we would know that God doesn't only love us, but he likes us, and he rejoices over us. That's incredible news. I wanted to end on that one on purpose today, because I want you to know no matter what you've done, no matter what you thought was going to please you outside of you, no matter um, how content you are in the things of this world, and you don't really want Jesus to come back that much because you're afraid you're going to lose out, no matter how much you've waited in the kiddie pool, or you haven't gotten a pool at all, maybe, God can delight in you. He loves you. You come to Christ, and he showers his praise over you. He sings over you. And so, man, my, my, my prayer is that we would really get these things and, uh, and get them like, like we know them, that they're true. We'd embrace them. Um, and so over the next decade, those are really kind of our goals, that we would just really embrace these things, love these things, know these things. There's five more. But, man, that's my prayers for us. As we respond to the good news that Christ died for us, that God the Father delights in us, um, we're going to respond through singing. And you guys have been singing loud lately, and I love it. Even the ones who shouldn't be singing loud are singing loud, and I'm thankful for that. So keep singing, keep shouting and rejoicing. Um, we're going to eat and drink um, communion. And so we have bread and we have wine and juice. It's a little bit different today. I've got to say one thing about it. Um, to save on throwing um, 80-plus plastic cups away every week, um, someone had the idea, I don't know who it was, someone had the idea to do stainless steel cups. So we have those. It's very cool of us. Very 2020. And uh, so um, there's a little sign that explains how to take communion in case you just don't know how we do it also. Uh, but you can take the elements. You can eat, drink, thank God for his provision in Christ. Um, and there's a bowl you can put the stainless steel cup in. You can just drop it in the bowl. Um, it's a big white bowl. It's a medium. It's, it's, a, it's a white bowl. It's the only, it's only white bowl. And you can drop it in there, um, and then we'll clean them and do all that stuff. Got the whole, there's, a whole, there's a legit cleaning system, so we're, you're, you're good. Um, and uh, so, yes, yeah, so we have that. And then if you're a member or you call the Grove home, you can give during this time as well. So we'll sing, eat, drink, give. And if you have kids, you can bring them out, and we can sing and rejoice in the Lord together. I'll pray for us, and then we'll respond. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for, um, I thank you just for your heart that you show us in your word, your love for us, that you delight in us, that you want the best for us, that you'll change our hearts, the, the very thing that we cannot do, that you're coming back to make all sad things untrue that you've equipped us and called us to serve for you, that we get to play a part in what you're doing in this world, and that you delight in us. Lord, would you remind us of those things? Would you help us embrace those things? Father, we love you, and we're thankful for all that you're doing in us and through us. And it's for your glorious name I pray. Amen.